Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Friday, the 13th, August the 13th, the last August the 13th before football season. And we're breaking down a continuation of our Virginia Tech positional group. We're focused on the defense and the special teams today. Uh, you know, more more kind of overall concerns, at least with the front six that we'll talk about and what that really kind of means uh, going into the season, at least from a depth standpoint. But uh, before we jump into that, Tim, what's going on? You kind of buried the lead there, man. It's Friday the 13th. It's spooky. Yeah, it is. It's terrifying. Yeah. So what's, what's your favorite horror movie? Are you into horror movies? <sighs> you know, I'm I'm not super into horror movies. Um that's a tough one. What's yours? I probably the Conjuring right now, man. The Conjuring one and the Conjuring two are super disturbing. So uh, see, I've never heard of that. I don't even yeah, know what that is. It, they're on Netflix. Go watch them. Yeah, I don't know. You know, honestly, like since I've had kids, like the scary movie horror yeah. movie thing, yeah, doesn't doesn't do me any favors mentally. <laughs> like right. I've got enough anxiety in my life. I don't need. Like I think the the movie that kind of ended horror films for me was Strangers. Oh god, that, that was unsettling. Yeah, I saw that in theaters. Unsettling is a good <laughs> way to put that. Yeah. The oh, end man. really just I still I think about it. It's the Oh man. So there's one shot. I think it's the Strangers. There's one shot where that lady's in the kitchen and yes. the guy is just in the background kind of yep. staring off into the distance with the mask on. Um, just unsettling feelings all around with that film. But uh, I, you know, I'm not like a huge yeah. horror movie buff at all. Yeah. But it's one of those where I've kind of gone back to it. And, you know, when I'm laying there at night, because obviously when the kids are up, you can't throw on the horror film. you got to throw on Bluey <laughs> or, you know, if, if you live in a cursed house, you got to throw on Blippy and no. kind of no. just ride the wave. House. And... You know, so it's nice for me. It's just like you break it up and you don't get that kind of like you don't have access to that during the day. Most of the time I'm watching sports when the kids are down. So if I do have like the Braves are off and I got nothing else to watch. I throw it on there. Um, and, you know, the kind hey. of horror feelings and stuff that you get from that are so different from the anxiety you feel when your daughter puts a. A, a, a spoonful of food in your mouth that's too big it's just it's such a different level of anxiety that it's actually somewhat therapeutic yeah hey has uh blippy ever taught the kids how to do the harlem shake <laughs> i'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole <laughs> oh man yeah if you want to you can google that one but don't uh, don't google that i was just curious because we don't we try not to watch I, my kids haven't found out about Blippy yet, thank God. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll hold off on that for as long as possible. But yeah, you know the horror movies for me, I can't even think of the last time I even saw one. To be honest, I just kind of stay, stay astray because I just have more anxiety these days than I used to. You know, maybe that's something with getting old. I don't know. Yeah, it is. The kids so. getting old, jobs. Yeah, yeah, it piles up. Yeah, thirties. You know, 30s. what can you what can you do? But yeah, so let's um, let's go ahead and jump into the defense, Tim. We had a good conversation about the offense. I think you know there's some positivity there, um, some questions, but you know good reasons to be optimistic. Defensively, 
you know, there's more uh, more questions. I think we feel good about the starters, but we can uh, we can jump into that in a second. We started off the offense with a quote. Uh, it was a very lustful quote. Uh, let's start off the defense with a quote, Tim. And uh, unfortunately, it's not as flattering. Um, and this is from Justin Hamilton. This is my biggest issue with, and this isn't the quote yet, but this is my biggest issue with my expectations for Virginia Tech football because this quote kind of worries me. Justin Hamilton, quote, I feel like we have a fighter's chance to be solid. (laughs) Where last year, in my heart of hearts, I felt like this is going to be a really tall challenge. Yeah, not loving that, man. There's a lot to unload there. Yeah. A lot. I mean, a fighter's chance to be solid isn't exactly a ringing endorsement. No, it is not. And you certainly hope it's one of those where he just didn't choose the right words in that situation. Or it's <laughs> maybe a little decoy action. Yeah. Yeah, playing coy. Please. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things, man, where you hope it's one of those scenarios, but you also hope with the flip side of that that it's not him showing his cards a little bit and maybe you know he's not quite as confident in the defense as it's constructed as you would necessarily hope rolling into a year two. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Hamilton's a positive guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's when I see that from him. And I, I mean, I appreciate the honesty. Um, and it kind of, you know, makes me level set expectations. And that's why I keep kind of jumping from, you know, eight, nine wins to, you know, six, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it could be anywhere. I mean, we're not going to know until the season kicks off. But, I mean, this is a defense, Tech rank last year, 103rd nationally in total defense, gave up 447 yards. 95th in yards per play allowed, Mm. 6.19 yards per play. 82nd in scoring defense, gave up 32 points per game. And so even just modest improvements in those categories, the the offense is going to have to be good. The offense is going to have to put up points for Virginia Tech to be competitive and you know, lucky for them to play in the ACC Coastal, and really all that matters is ACC play. And I mean... You know, I used to get kind of frustrated in the Beamer era because he was always focused on, well, let's just win the ACC. When Virginia Tech, you felt like you had a national champion caliber football team um, year in and year out, at least through most of the 2000s. So, yes, you got to win the ACC, but you want to win a natty. Um, And Virginia Tech, for the most part, won a lot of ACC championships from 2004 to 2010, but... Virginia Tech now, I mean, winning the ACC or winning the Coastal would be huge, um, but it is going to be a tall task. When you see something like that from Justin Hamilton, it's like, okay, okay, well, let's let's look behind the curtain here. And to me, the biggest issues are the front the front six with how uh, Virginia Tech structures their defense traditionally. And you know, as we highlighted last week, the defensive line um, took a big hit this offseason specifically at the defensive end position where they lost three uh basically 
freshman um, players and Justin Beatles, Robert Wooten, and um, uh, what's the other guy? Alec Bryant. So, you know, those guys are gone. Uh, defensive tackle Deshaun Crawford transferred. Um, they did get in some reinforcements. They obviously brought in Jordan Williams from Clemson. Um, he comes in as a redshirt junior. He's going to be the guy who's, you know, there replacing Jared Hewitt and uh, Crawford in the middle. And how he performs is going to be critical to the success of this uh, somewhat thin defensive line, but otherwise fairly uh, deep defensive tackle group. Um, the one thing I find interesting with Williams is he dropped about 25 pounds since last season. Um, right now, Mario Kendricks is running with him on the first team. He's only had one career start, but he has shown flashes um, at times. So that should be a nice one-two punch. And then if you kind of look down into the two deep for this defensive tackle group, you got Josh Fuga, who, um, you know, he sent out one of my favorite treats ever of, like, yeah, I can only remember what he said, but it referred to his abs that you can't see, um, which I thought was awesome. And he's been mostly reserved in his career, but he's big, he's young, um, and I'm excited to see him get more action. And then Narelle Pollard, he's kind of the guy who you might have expected who would move into that first-team uh, defensive tackle group with Williams um, because he's got 11 starts under his belt. Um two and a half sacks, four and a half tackles for loss last year, but right now he's working on the second team. So the defensive tackle group, Tim, I'm not uh, super down on. I think this is a group that could be very good, um, but I just hope it's a team that, or a, a group that can sustain because, you know, that's only four guys I mentioned. Once you get past those four guys, I think it starts to become a little more hairy. It does, and defensive tackle is one of those where, especially when you're running a four down, um, defensive line you'd like to see more depth than that defensive tackle gets rotated quite a bit guys get tired injuries happen um, and I think this is one position where the depth may be an issue for us I like what I saw a lot last year from Fuga I think he's a guy that especially with more conditioning and more time in the weight room um, can really make a difference he's one of those guys that is is way more nimble than anyone who's his size should be Kendrick's obviously a stud you know I, I think there's talent there but, you know, the depth concerns me a little bit, especially if we get dinged with an injury. Um, you know, as much as you'd like to rotate ideally with the interior linemen, that's not that's not what you'd like to see. But again, I think they can be a solid group. Um, but a lot of that, I guess, uh, you know, finishing and, and a lot of, out of the way we end up in regards to run stuffing and those kind of things are going to be hinged upon that health. There's no doubt. And really, uh, probably the group I'm second most worried about on the entire team is uh, defensive end. And um, that being said, you've probably got the player I'm most excited about on this defense. Um, and it's a toss-up between... He's probably the player I'm most excited about on the overall team because I know he's going to be a huge part of this year's team, and that's Amari Barno. The guy's six foot six, two hundred and forty five pounds. He looks like a Greek god. And yeah, I'm going down the Fuente route. Okay. I mean, just go look at the photos. The guy is he's a sculpture. Oh, he's, he's something incredible. else, man. And I mean, he is just poised to just jump out and have a breakout season. He had six and a half sacks last year, sixteen 
tackles for a loss. And this guy pretty much came out of nowhere on this defense, and he's a preseason all-ACC selection. So with a guy like Barno in a very kind of uh, uncertain uh you know, group. If he just doesn't come off the field, he can make all of those all all of those uncertainties go away. Um, and my biggest concern for Barno is just the depth at the position and just being able to hone in on him from a from a competitive standpoint. And as far as we know right now, um, you know, it looks like uh, Tawan Garbutt is the other option at uh, defensive end, uh, at least on the first team. And he's a guy who missed most of last year. Uh, he had some uh, a family illness, which uh, obviously that's understandable that he was going to miss time. Um, but he did start 11 games in 19. Uh, so he's got experience. He did only have one sack. He had three and a half tackles for loss. If you remember the team from 19, it was a team that really struggled to get after the quarterback. Right. And the two starting defensive ends were Garbutt and Emmanuel Belmar. And so Belmar is a guy who's battled injury. He's still not practicing right now. We're not really sure what his status is kind of going into the season. Um, and he started five games last season before getting hurt, but he did have that three-sack game against Duke, if you remember, where he just kind of exploded. Um, and he started 13 games in 2019, five-and-a-half tackles for a loss, four sacks that season. So there's experience on this defensive line. There's just a little bit of uncertainty. And so if you look at you know Jalen uh, Griffin, who he's played in 21 games the last two seasons, mostly as a reserve, but that's good experience. And then Eli Adams, a little bit younger, but 16 games of action under his belt. You know, there there is some experience on this line, but again, it's once you get past these four, then what happens? You know, right. it's it's probably my second biggest concern overall. You've got like Wilfred Panay, who was just converted from a tight end defensive line. He's not going to play this year, uh, other than special teams. Um. But outside of Barno, you've got health, depth, and production concerns, um, and just consistent play out of this group. And so, I, to me, that's the second biggest concern uh, for the Hokies on on defense this season. Yeah, um, you know, it's so weird to say when you have a player like Barno that any of this could be you know, somewhat concerning, but, you know, the pieces are there where you have a couple guys that have the potential to be really effective off the edge that could really complement Barno in a really good way. But as you mentioned it, again, it's a depth issue, um, you know, of all the positions on the defensive, you know, side of the ball, I think having depth issues on the defensive line is probably the most concerning given the amount of rotations that you like to see from those two groups, given the injuries that they can have. And it's just a precarious position to be in. And I think this is one of those where you see, honestly, Fuente's unacceptable level of recruiting the past three years really rearing its ugly head. And luckily we've seen, you know, positive changes on that front. So I won't turn this into a a podcast and me complaining about recruiting. Well, it's honestly like if you look at the defensive end group specifically – yeah. It's tough. It is. Because you you had three pretty decent freshmen who were going to kind of be in the mix this season. So I can't say this group specifically is a recruiting issue. It 
it was just attrition to the transfer portal. And I mean, to lose three freshmen to the portal in, in one position group, I mean, that you just can't see that coming. So, I mean, that that's just one of those situations where, you know, I think there are some groups that you can look at and say, like, what were we doing here? But the defensive end one is just kind of uh, an anomaly, really, for this for this staff. Well, it is, and, and I, I slightly disagree with the recruiting. I think we could have done much better filling in the depth at that position where we really have a cliff and a fall-off here, understanding that attrition is bad. Three players from one position group is bad. Um, but there are other ways to address a much deeper defensive line as far as depth. Now, when you talk about the defensive line group as a whole, typically when you have that sort of attrition, you're able to move pieces from the interior to the outside. You've got versatile guys that can line up on the edge, whether that be moving outside linebackers up on the line. And there's just no depth to be had on that defensive side of the ball. And to me, I do attribute that to recruiting, regardless of whether or not the attrition comes from three players in the position group or not, a lot of that attrition can be tied to some, I guess, recruiting issues loosely that may or may not have been the best ideas as far as attacking players out of state, not getting guys that were good fits for the program. You know, all those are recruiting issues. I don't necessarily just mean landing the talent specifically when I talk about that. But we've got nobody. We've got no versatile players. We've got nobody that we can move because we lack the depth at the other positions as well. Um, and that's more so what I mean as far as, yeah, it stinks. Obviously, the attrition is not a good thing, and we'll never know the answers as to why some of those guys bolted. But, you know, I, and I hate to draw upon, you know, guys like NC State. Um, but, you know, you look at their defensive interior, and they're eight guys deep. Um, you look at their defensive ends, and they're six to seven guys deep. Uh, they've got versatile guys playing outside linebacker. They could easily move down on the line. Um, and I bring NC State up because that's a team that I follow extremely closely. You know, obviously, much closer, I follow Virginia Tech, but that's just where I draw that on. So when I talk about the recruiting being an issue, this is what I mean is that, yes, it stinks that we had the position groups or we had such a, you know, one position group so affected. But the fact that we don't have those guys that we can come in and expect a borderline level of, okay, they might be decent to come in and fill in. I do see that as a recruiting issue. Recruiting is all about depth. And, you know, I think this defensive line recruiting, defensive tackle recruiting, I think that's really where we've seen some missed opportunities from this staff. And I think this is really when it hurts, when you have that attrition, that good good recruiting could have hedged that a little bit, where we just don't have it to fall upon right now, is where I struggle. And unfortunately, um, this position now for me becomes one that could have been so good uh, if we just had a little more depth to where it's a real concern outside of Garbutt and uh, Barno. I mean, there, there's really nothing else that we can count on there um, if we run into issues. And it's football, so you know we'll run into issues. And so I'm with you on the concern meter. The defensive line, defensive end, way, 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 way up there. And that's, you know, that, that's not where you want to see it on your, you know, the two position, position groups that should have the most depths you know, on the defensive side of the ball, but, um, yeah, you know, that's, and I'm, I'm not disagreeing that there's been, uh, recruiting challenges and it goes to roster management. Exactly. I think specifically for defensive ends, you know, two of those guys that transferred, if you take Beatles out, cause he transferred, uh, after spring, uh, Wooten and, uh, Bryant, you know, they transferred late in the summer and both sided, you know, wasn't, 
the football program that caused him to transfer. We don't know what it was, but whatever. So from that standpoint, it was rough. You've got your new defensive coaching staff coming in. You've got this change of philosophy. Those were guys that fit that philosophy. Those were guys who were going to play this year. Now, if you go to the linebacker group, who that that's my biggest concern for Virginia Tech this season of any position on the football team. You know, you look at running back and you've got I don't know, how many? Like, what's the real number? Like 18, 17? Yeah. It's a huge number of running backs. And it's like, why do we have so many running backs on this team? But there's literally like four linebackers that have a shot a realistic shot of getting on the field this season and a bunch of either freshmen or a grad transfer or whatever, just guys that are primarily going to be special teams players in, in 21. How does that happen? And I mean, if you look at Dax, you know, it's finally his, his job at the Mike linebacker position this year, you know, Ashby opted not to return. Uh, so, you know, it's a big, uh, big chance for Dax to really shine and, and play the position he was meant to play. You know, he's been kind of uh, back and forth between the linebacker positions and the defense. And, you know, this group needs a leader. He's primed and ready for the role. And I thought he made some really nice strides towards the latter part of last year. I thought he really started playing at a high level. Um, and honestly, like Ashby, I, I'm a huge Rayshard Ashby fan, but he, uh, he struggled last year. Um, and he, he just wasn't the player that he was in, in 2019. So, uh, Dax is going to play along Alan Tisdale, who, you know, he has shown flashes of greatness over the last two seasons. He's got a lot of speed. He's now got the full-time job. He's added 18 pounds of muscle to his frame. You know, kind of the knock on him was, can he hold up physically at the linebacker position? Um, so I think that additional muscle will, will help him with that. And I think this tandem has a chance to be an exciting group. But once again, it's it's depth. And I mean, behind these guys, there's like nothing. And I mean, oh, you've got bad. Dean Ferguson. You know, he's a he's going to be the backup at the mic. And he's played nine games total. Six games last year, redshirt freshman. And, you know, we'll see as he gets more action. You know, maybe he's going to be a stud. I hope he is. Uh, but there's a lot of unknowns there. And then you got C.J. McRae, who's the transfer from uh, Marshall. He hasn't even played a college snap. And that's your backup to Tisdale. So a lot of unknowns uh, in the two deep and beyond at linebacker. And I was just looking through Virginia Tech's roster at linebacker. There's just not a lot to talk about. I mean, you've got Lakeem Rudolph. He played in seven games last year, all special teams, you know. He's listed as a linebacker. Probably not going to see a lot of time there this year unless he, you know, has to get on the field for injuries or whatever. Uh, you've got a slew of freshmen. You've got a, a grad transfer. I mean, there's not much going on. And, you know, to your point about recruiting, you know, I can I can see past the defensive end for the reasons that I stated, and I'm not disagree, disagreeing that, you know, we could have done better there. But it's linebacker for me where I just kind of scratch my head and I'm like, wow, what what were we doing at this position? Yeah, it's, it's another one of those that is just kind of inexcusable for me um, when you talk about that effect is, is there's no depth really anywhere. And linebacker is one of those where you're right. I mean, there hasn't been the same level of attrition. 
it's a little bit more unacceptable, a lot of bit more unacceptable from a roster construction standpoint to have these kind of holes, especially from a staff that's been continuous for six years now. Um, you would expect a certain level of consistency and depth to be there, and it's just not. And I, I love the front, too. Obviously, I love the front-end starters. I think Dax and Tisdale pair, pair well with each other. Tisdale complements Dax's lack of mobility um, with a more rangy approach, a little bit better on the blitz. But then you have Dax, who's a little stronger in the run, and I think he plays that very well. So the two really complement just so well. And I think we're going to avoid the scenario we ran into a year or two ago where we were trotting out Dax and Ashby together who did not complement each other well. I thought they were two very similar players, um, and that's not a knock on either one of them. Every linebacker fits a different you know niche, fits a different archetype, and those two were just too similar to complement each other well. I think we run into the, you know, the, the flip side of that coin where we have two that do complement each other well. But the problem is that depth piece, again— you're, you you want to rotate in linebackers. I'm high on Dean Ferguson. I don't know enough about McCray to tell you whether or not um, that we should feel good or bad about him, like you said, because we haven't seen the guy. Um, this is an unacceptable level of depth for our situation, and it's one of those where you know we kept pointing to the burning house that was on fire and saying, hey, look, there's a fire. That's going to be bad. And most of the fan base looked the other way and said, ah, it'll be fine. Well, it's not going to be fine. This is where we ran into issues. Depth is one of those pieces that is just paramount to recruiting. It's not about the front-end four-star guys all the time, although we didn't do great there either, but it's about filling out your roster and being smart where you take your commitments, where you're you know, bunching up your commitments and the guys that you're taking, and we just did not do a good job there of getting guys we need uh, to fill in potential holes. And this is one of those that is the most glaring of all of them. Um, more glaring than defensive tackle, more glaring than defensive end is what we're seeing at linebacker. So we are one or two injuries away um, from really, really having a hole in that defense. And that's what scares me because when you talk about the starters, I'm fairly happy with the way the roster is constructed. Um, I like the two that we have. The only problem is it's football. Um, and something's always going to happen. And I, I do think this is something that is going to hurt us this year with a team that was already not great at stopping the run last year um, with, you know, potential holes in the linebacking core. That's not what you want to see. So, um, you know, pray for good health uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the challenge, right? And I mean, I can look across both sides of the football and look at our starters and think, you know, we have a pretty good group of starters, you know, that. I'd feel comfortable putting up against most of the teams in the ACC. Um, the two biggest question marks for me are you know, one of the defensive end positions. Can Garba be the guy? That's my biggest question mark at starter on the D. And then on offense, it's it's Burmeister, unfortunately. It's your quarterback position. Um, but, you know, I think he can, you know, as we alluded to, we talked about that position at length. I think he can figure it out. But to your point, this is football. This isn't chess, okay? It's not curling, you know? You're going to have injuries. Guys are going to have to come off the field. They're going to miss plays. They may miss series. They may miss half a game. They may miss six weeks. And so then what happens after that? And if you look at the secondary, we're well-equipped. If you look at defensive tackle, we can probably get past it. Defensive end, more question marks. 
linebacker, big time concern. And so, well, yeah, and for and me, the, the other piece of that too is the bunching, right? I mean, that we're talking about your defensive front, so important to stopping that run game, and we've got right. depth question marks that the Hokies struggled so, so mightily bad. at stopping last season so bad that's so, the reason that they gave up 6.19 yards per play right so when you look at and we won't do that on this episode but when you look at projecting the season and those kind of things there's a lot to love on this team but what's holding you back and what's casting doubt really for me are these depth issues. And and this is, like I said, I, I hate to harp on it, but this is where the recruiting has really come back to bite us. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where one, we're one or two or three injuries away in that defensive front, which may sound like a lot, but it's not for a defensive front to have three guys out, four guys out at a time, especially if it's anything like last year when, and hopefully it'll be better because of vaccinations, but when COVID was running rampant and, and we were losing one or two per position group at least, every single game. So this is this is really where it gets tricky. And I feel a little bit better about the other position groups on defense, not to give you a perfect segue. Um, but yeah, the, this one stings a little bit to look at the depth chart. So if we jump to safety, um, you know, you look at Keonta Jenkins, who uh, looking to build off of a great freshman campaign, was not a highly touted recruit. Um, kind of under the radar prospect, but had a really nice season last year. It looks like he's going to be the starting safety. Um, and then you've got Ty Daly, who moved over uh, to free safety to compete with uh, with Jenkins and Jalen Stroman. And uh, Daly moved over from Rover with the uh, reinstatement of Devin Hunter, um, who is competing with Devin Taylor um, for that starting spot who moved over from corner. So there's a lot of guys, a lot of moving pieces in that secondary right now. Um, if you look at Jenkins, he's big. He's 6'3", 207. He's shown a ton of potential. And I think he has a shot to be the next great safety at Virginia Tech. And, I mean, we like our safeties big in Blacksburg. And um, he's a he's a big guy back there in the secondary. So I'm uh, I'm excited to see what he can do this season. If you look at Rover, you know, Tim, the big question is, is this the year for Devin Hunter? I mean, you take last year um, for what it was. You know, he wasn't there. He had the off-the-field issue uh, for a guy who has a, you know, pretty clean reputation otherwise. Um, and so he did everything right by the university, by the football program. They decided to reinstate him, um, which is great news for the Virginia Tech defense. But Coming into last season, he was supposed to be the guy who replaced Reggie Floyd. And finally, you know, a four-star recruit, highly touted, uh, had never really kind of lived up to the hype. And then you had the suspension. Now he's back. This has to be the year for Devin Hunter, and um, hopefully it is. And so we'll see what he can do back there at Rover. And Devin Taylor's another guy that I like. I mean, he's a guy who moved all over the defense last year. He was the uh, corner who came over from Illinois State uh, via the transfer portal and uh, played well at times. Uh, he was a highly uh, graded cornerback at the FCS level. Um, so he's another guy who, no matter who the starter is, you know, I think we see both of these guys play. And Devin Taylor, you may kind of see lined up all, all over the field. Yeah, and it's some good proven depth, which I like to see. I'm really high on Keonta Jenkins. Um, obviously, where Hunter is concerned, I don't know that I've ever wanted success for a football player more than I want Devin Hunter to have success this year 
you know, and, and he gives us that spark of, of really a potential playmaker there on defense um, that can make some big plays in the backfield, some big plays in the run game. Uh, you know, it's just given the unique path that he's taken, some of it his fault, some not, um, to fight through as much adversity as he's fought through to get to the point now where we look like we're getting to the point where he's going to be starting football games in in a position where I'm sure coming into his commitment, he thought he would be in much sooner. Um, man, I'm rooting for that guy. And so <laughs> that makes this immediately, uh, you know, my favorite position group on the field, as it should be any Hokies uh, that's watched Virginia Tech football, I think in the past, you know, 20 years or so on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but yeah, there's, there's proven depth here. I, I like what we have and what we're going to be able to rotate in and out. Um, but yeah, I just, when I see this position group, obviously immediate focus goes to Devin and I'm just hopeful he can have a healthy year um, and finally get that full season starting that I know he's been dying for wearing the maroon and orange um, and I'll be rooting for him every step of the way cornerback the opposite issue of our linebacking group uh it sounds like jermaine waller is back to 100 percent, which is music to the fans ears of virginia tech football if you recall going into 2020 i keep getting 2020 in this year mixed up i keep thinking next year's 2021 i'm in this like matrix but anyways Jermaine Waller, Caleb Farley, they were the top-rated cornerback group in college football, not the ACC. And so, I mean, that's that's how good of a player Jermaine Waller is. Uh, he's an upper echelon ACC cornerback. If he can stay healthy this year, I mean, that's a big add to the back end of the Virginia Tech defense. Um it's really just kind of injuries. That's the biggest concern. You know, can he stay healthy? You know, he had the injury dating back to the 2019 season um, and then missed uh, pretty much the entire 2020 season as well. So um, you'd have to imagine he's going to be over in that boundary corner position. Um, and then on the other side, most likely it's going to be Dorian Strong, who, again, just another under-the-radar uh recruit um, from that very weak class along with Keonta Jenkins, um, but a guy who's played at a very high level. And, um, you know, he may be probably the lowest rated recruit in the Hokies lowest ranked class in, in decades. But like I said, balled out last year, uh, excited to see what he can do with the return of Waller when there's less kind of, you know, there's, there's less choices of where to throw the football. Um, and then, you know, otherwise secondary should be strong. You got guys like Breon Murray, Nadir Thompson, Armani Chapman, who are going to be competing for that kind of second string position. Um, and you've also got guys like DJ Harvey, who's the freshman out of California and then, uh, Nike Johnson as well competing. So there's a lot of depth at corner, a lot to be excited about the one position group that I don't even call it a position group, but the one position on the defense, uh, in the secondary that is kind of short on depth is that whip uh, nickel position. So you've obviously got Shamari Connor there. He's kind of the do-it-all uh, guy for the Hokies. Um, he's he's pretty good at defending the pass. He struggles a bit against the run, uh, so hopefully he can look to uh, kind of tweak that part of the game. Um, but really gives some extra ammo to uh, to the Hokies secondary. But once you get uh, past Connor, a little bit of... Uh, 
of a concern there just from a depth standpoint. You've got uh, um, Hawkins, who's played three games last year, and then Nasir Peoples, who played 11 primarily on special teams. So that's the one group uh, in the secondary where you're like, okay, you know, maybe a depth concern, but otherwise a very kind of strong group across the board there. Yeah, and that's one of those where kind of the versatile, interchangeable depth that I mentioned that we didn't have in the defensive front, we kind of have in that, you know, safeties group when you add the whip in. There are some pieces you can move around and slot in if there are injuries. Um, you know, I, a couple of guys I'm really excited to see are Nikelius Johnson and you mentioned Harvey, two of the younger guys at corner that I think I'm really, really high on long term. Um, obviously, they're not going to be needed to to hopefully be relied on this year heavily. Um, but it's, it's great to see that, you know, we do have pretty good depth there when you talk about the guys that we are looking at on the depth chart. Uh, Waller obviously can't say enough about how good that guy is, and, and to have him back uh, through all the injury that he's been through is, is going to be huge. Dorian Strong, a guy that I just loved last year. You know, one of the benefits of being as bad as we were on defense last year and having the amount of attrition that we had on a weekly basis with COVID is that a lot of guys got a lot of playing time, probably weren't ready, but going forward, that's going to pay in spades for us. Um, when you look at the game time that we were able to get the snaps that these guys in the secondary were able to get um, for all of the, the reasons I just mentioned, you look at this year and you're leaning on a lot of guys that may not have had that experience before that. Now you look at the depth chart and like, okay, all these guys have played some pretty good minutes um, young guys that baptism by fire are going to be in a lot better position to succeed this year than they would have been if everything was a-okay on the defensive side of the ball last year and COVID wasn't around. But I'm excited, and, and the cornerback group especially, I think, is the strongest on defense um, for just for the reasons we mentioned as far as depth goes, but they've got those proven starters. They've got the headliner and Waller. Um, I'm excited for them. And, you know, I, I think we've got a couple of corners that really, really, really can keep carrying on that legacy of, of solid corner play at Virginia Tech um, that, you know, Caleb Farley kind of reignited. And now we can see how far we can take it. Um, but, yeah, Jamari Connor, you just want to shout that guy out. You know, when, when you go back and watch Virginia Tech games last year, a guy that plays so aggressively and with so much heart and seems to come up with the biggest plays when we need them, I can't say enough about Jamari Connor and, you know, just wanted to shout him out for the good work that he was able to do last year, even when things weren't looking so good for us. But all in all, you know, putting a bow on that defensive end side, it's just, or, or that defensive side, I'm sorry. It, it's nice to see the depth kind of strengthen toward the back end. You know, when you get to the front and you realize how shallow it is, it can kind of give you a little bit of worry, a little bit of hesitance. But what could be a shaky defensive front if injuries do pop up or attrition due to COVID is a thing there's a lot of strength to lean back on and a lot of talent to lean back on in that secondary so it, it's not all you know stormy clouds and frowns on that side of the ball um, I'm still as an overall unit I'm still pretty high on the defense I think as you mentioned when you look at the starters that that's basically the feeling you get is hey this defense could be pretty good I think when you peel back the facade a little bit uh, you start to worry about the the foundation a little bit and, and how fatigue is going to factor in, which I'm really concerned about on that defensive front, especially in the linebacking core. Um, you know, with college football becoming more spread out, more sideline to sideline, that linebacker role becomes a lot more exhausting. Ideally, you'd like to rotate three or four guys 
in and out of the game. We're not going to have that luxury, I don't believe, unless we have folks step up that aren't necessarily ready to step up. But, you know, all in all, tying it together, defensive side of the ball, a little shaky depth-wise, good on the starters, offensive side of the ball. I love the depth. Only shaky position is that quarterback position. So it's it's one of those seasons where you can see a couple of different scenarios playing out. We'll get more into it next week. But I think that alludes to what you were talking about earlier, just how how fun, I hate to say fun, because when you think of uh, variable outcomes and sort of the range of outcomes can be a little anxiety-inducing. But it does make it fun to prognosticate on where the Hokies are going to be this season. Yeah, I mean, the big thing for this defense, I mean, if they can shave six to eight points off of the points that they're giving up per game. So take it down from allowing 32 points per game down to 25, 27 range. I think they're going to give themselves a lot, a lot better chance to win. So, I mean, what that means is stop giving up so many touchdowns basically. Um, And I don't think this team will get beat over the top a lot. I just don't. I think the secondary will be tested quite a bit. I think, this team is probably going to give up more more yards on the ground than we're going to be comfortable with, but it's limiting the damage. Can Virginia Tech's defense limit the damage throughout the season that allows them to compete with maybe some of the more higher-powered offenses that they'll go up against? Um, and I think that'll be critical in games against North Carolina, Notre Dame, uh Two of, I mean, those those two that we we get to play pretty quick, um, and then later in the season against you know a team like Miami, you know, how can they hold up? So we'll talk about that next week. Um, you know, if we look at the special teams real quick, you know, I don't have a lot here to talk about, but two two new faces at two key positions. So I mean, we're gonna have a new punter. No more Oscar Bradburn, unfortunately, a fan favorite. So Peter Moore is going to be taking over the punting duties. And then John Parker Romo um, is now the new kicker. Hasn't attempted a field goal since 2018. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, hopefully those guys can be consistent and, um, you know, not leave too much of a gap from where uh, where we were last season. Um, another big question really is, is punt returner. That's kind of the position to watch from a skill position standpoint on the special teams. If you look at... Tavion Robinson, I'd say the job is probably his. You know, if he can just kind of put last year in the rear view and not think about it and just move on, turn the page. Um, if you look at him as a freshman, he averaged 14.2 yards on 13 returns. I mean, that was among the nation's best. Last year, a lot of drops, poor decision-making, averaged 2.1 yards per return, lost his job, and then it was basically anybody that we could find that was comfortable catching a punt back there. Um, which is when James Mitchell went back there to catch a punt. So uh, hopefully Tavion can really bring that job under wraps and, um, you know, be a, a big kind of burst to to the special teams and a big play threat there as well. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, kickers, punters, complete wild card. Although, you know, you hope that you're able to get consistency, as you mentioned. I mean, if we can sacrifice a little bit of the distance on the on the field goals for just a little bit more consistency, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, on the punt return side, it's almost like Tavion had a case of the yips last year. He, the punt returns got in his head, and I think that was clear. You know, it's a shame because 
physical tools, he could be an absolutely elite punt returner, one of the nation's best. But clearly, ball security is paramount when you talk about going back there and catching punts. So I'm hopeful he's able to put that in the rear view um, because I do think, I mean, you could easily say see Tavion taking one or two to the house uh, next season. And if he's able to do that, I mean, that, that, that could change a lot of things. And if he could hit anywhere near that 14-yard average, um, even though it may be unsustainable catching a vast majority of the punts, but if he could, um, that would be a huge, huge asset to this team where you know special teams could really, really provide a boost um, when you consider that this may be a team, uh, given what we know about the defense, that really may need to go punch for punch with some high-powered offenses if you could get just that little boost from the special teams could make all the difference. So that's our show. That is the official wrap of our position by position breakdown. Hopefully, uh, you know, we uh, gave you something to think about. Um, let us know if you agree, disagree with what we said. Tim, any uh, any closing thoughts before we uh, turn off the mics for the night? No, I mean, no real closing thoughts other than obviously I'm brimming with excitement. Um, you know, by and large, trying to keep things positive to a, a realistic extent on this podcast. But, you know, it's just nice to go over the depth charts, you know, start prepping for all these shows again because we are getting close. We are getting really, really close. And that... um. That first game against UNC, UNC coming in at, at number nine, so a top ten matchup um, to start the season. It, it really doesn't kick off that well, um, you know. That that's about as good as it gets. The fact that it's a semi rival just makes it all the more sweeter. And you know, going through these position groups just make it feel like it's getting closer and closer. So hopefully, uh, time can go ahead and speed up over the next few weeks, but uh, I know we'll keep cranking those podcasts out and give you guys something to listen to on the way. Yeah, there's no doubt. So, uh, you know, next week we're going to break down each of the divisions in the ACC and then kind of take a look at where we think Virginia Tech will wind up uh, in the Coastal and just record-wise overall. So looking forward to that. Should be uh, a fun week of, of prepping for that. But thanks for listening. Uh, we're Chowder and Grits. Again, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. If you could just do us one thing, you could tell anybody you know. If you enjoyed the show about this podcast and tell them to listen, shoot them a link, um, and then leave us a rating. Preferably five stars. Um, I think that's what Tim likes to see. That's what I like to see. Um, if you have to leave four, you know, we'll accept that. Um, really anything otherwise, just shoot us a direct message and tell us, you know, what you thought. We don't, we don't need to see that in the ratings. Um, but appreciate the feedback nonetheless. And, uh, you know, I just completely froze there. Um, (laughs) no worries. Is that the end of the show, man? Nobody even listens at this part. Yeah. So appreciate the feedback nonetheless, but uh, go check it out. And, uh, you know, that is a new logo that you're seeing, so don't don't be confused. We are still the old, new chowder and grits. So appreciate you listening, and uh, talk to you guys next week. See ya. Okay, and so that'll... Yep, I'm still recording, by the way. I figured we'd just keep it rolling. Yeah, so we'll just end.
All right, and that's our show. So thanks for listening. That is the Virginia Tech defense and special teams positional group preview. Um, hopefully it wasn't too bad for you and, uh, you know, maybe gave you something to think about. Let us know uh, Let us know what you think, whether you agree, disagree, if we miss the player, if we're not as high on a player as you are. Always uh, open for that kind of debate. Tim, any uh, any final words before um, we sign off? Yeah, nothing nothing spectacular tonight. It's just, uh, yeah, I guess everybody stay safe out there. I know Friday the 13th can get a little weird um, thanks to some pop culture hack and slash. Not hack and slash. What do they call Slashers, right? Slashers? That's a genre of horror film. Slashers. I don't We're going to go with Slashers. Yeah, sure. If you're, if you're listening me. to this and you're a camp counselor, uh, make sure you lock your doors. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. So, again, we're Chowder and Grits, new uh, new podcast logo, so don't be confused. It is us. And uh, why don't you just do us a favor? If you, if you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. Tell us. Leave us a review, preferably on Apple Podcasts, if you could hit that five-star button. If you have to hit the four-star button, Tim and I will accept it. Uh, just tell us kind of what you're thinking and what you like about the show. And then otherwise, you know, if you uh, didn't think it deserves four or five stars, then, you know, just yeah. shoot us a DM on Twitter or just tweet at us. I mean, there's a lot of negativity. On yeah, we can. We can We're big boys. It. But keep the beefs to the DMs and we will talk at you all next week. See you guys later. <laughs>